Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Christopher assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be The King Has Arrived. Brothers and sisters, the King has arrived. Today will be a thorough examination of Christ from the Old Testament to the New, from His pre-existence to the present brothers and sisters this encounter will this encounter with Christ will inspire and empower us to center our life around not only the most high but Christ brothers and sisters so we're going to start in the gospel let's go to John the 5th chapter in the 39th verse the king has arrived John 5 verse 39 Search the scriptures. Do what, brother? Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. Why, brother? For in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Search the scriptures, brothers and sisters. When Christ is speaking of this, there was no New Testament. Okay? So the scriptures refers to the Old Testament. Known as the Torah, the Tanakh, the Psalms. Brothers and sisters, Christ, according to the text, is inviting us to do what? To search the scriptures. Why? Because they testify of him, brothers and sisters. Could you read that again? Verse 39. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. So according to the text, brothers and sisters, the true value of the scriptures in their witness to who? To Christ. That's why he said, listen, those scriptures in the Old Testament, they testify of me. So what does that mean, brothers and sisters? That means that Christ clearly demands that the Old Testament be interpreted in light of revealing him. So we're going to do that today, brothers and sisters. We're going to teach you, we're going to show you how Christ is written of all throughout the literature, not beginning in Matthew, brothers and sisters. This is for those Christians. See, this is how you get Christians to go into the Old Testament. You show them that they don't know Christ without the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. We're going to show it today. Let's go to Proverbs, brother. Let's go to the Old Testament. Proverbs, the 25th chapter, the second verse. What's that say, brother? Proverbs 25, verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. The honor of kings is what, brother? The honor of kings is to search out a matter. See, so according to the text, brothers and sisters, in order to truly ascertain his glory, diligent investigation will be required. Could you read that again, brother? Verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. To do what? To conceal a thing. So according to the Most High, he conceals his glory. But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. See, so brothers and sisters, you can't begin to comprehend his glory until what? Until what has been concealed now becomes revealed, brothers and sisters. So we're going to do that. We're going to unreveal that which was, excuse me, we're going to unconceal. We're going to reveal what has been concealed, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to the same scriptures that we all knew from, from, you know, from our youth, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to those same scriptures to show you 
how Christ was written of from Genesis, brothers and sisters. Could you read that again, brother? Proverbs 25, verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. See, so according to the author, there's honor to be received for investigating God. We're going to do an investigation today, brothers and sisters. According to the text, the Most High's glory is concealed. He loves to do that. Why? Because he doesn't want just anyone to comprehend and understand. He wants you to search for it. And if you're not willing to search for it, then that's how he weeds the fakes out, brothers and sisters. This is how he weeds the fakes out. Let's go to John, brother. Let us show you what has been concealed. Let's go to John, the first chapter, brother. Let's start at the 47th verse. The king has arrived. John 1 verse 47. Christ saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him. What did he say, brother? Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no God. So here it was, Nathanael, brothers and sisters, who was a disciple. A lot of people don't know that Nathanael was a disciple. You'll also see him as Bartholomew in the Bible, brothers and sisters. This was one of his disciples. Could you read that again? Verse 47. Christ saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him. What did he say? Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no God. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Now look at this. Right away, Christ attests to his what? To his character. He said, this is an Israelite, a brother who has no guile, no malice. Continue. Christ answered and said unto him, before that Philip called thee, when thou was under the fig tree, I saw thee. Now look at this. Nathaniel was saying, how, how can you say I have no guile? How do you know me? <laughs> Read 48 one more time, please, brother. Verse 48. Nathaniel said unto him. What did he say? Whence knowest thou me? How do you know me? Christ answered and said unto him. What did he say, brother? Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. So here it is. We see that Philip is the one who brought Nathaniel to who? To Christ. Showing you that everyone is not going to have the same, you know, it's not going to do the same work, brothers and sisters. But here it was. Without Philip, Nathaniel would have never met the Messiah, would have never been able to do what? To follow and learn from the Messiah. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? <laughs> and I promise you, Nathaniel held Philip in high regard because of this, brothers and sisters. He found Philip and said, excuse me, he found Nathaniel and said, listen, I think I found the Messiah. I think the Messiah written of in the Torah, I think we found him. Continue, brother. John 1, verse 49. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. Thou art the what? Thou art the king of Israel. The king has arrived, brothers and sisters. But what I, but what I need you to examine is how easily Christ gained this brother's faith. Do you see that? <laughs> Christ just said, listen, I saw you under the fig tree. What was Nathanael's response? You are the son of God. Now, that's critical, brothers and sisters. Why? Because those whom the Most High chooses to build his church on were always easily convinced of the truth. 
You see that, brothers and sisters? If God is going to use you, you must be easily convinced of his truth. You have to stop questioning so much. You have to stop thinking so much. It is what he said it was, brothers and sisters. It always will be. We just wanted to show you that how the disciples responded. It didn't take much to convince them. And I promise you one thing that, that I know, being an Israelite, brothers and sisters, is no one is more... <laughs> no one is more difficult to convince of the truth than Israel. Read verse 49 one more time, please, brother. Verse 49. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. Continue. Christ answered and said unto him. What did he say, brother? Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou. Thou shalt see greater things than these. He said, you believe I'm the son of God because I told you, you know, that you were operating under the fig tree. You're going to see greater things. You're going to see greater things than that. Continue. Verse 51. And he saith unto him. What did he say? Verily, verily, I say unto you, here ye, or hereafter ye shall see heaven open. What did he say? Hereafter ye shall see heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Read that again, brother. Listen closely, because here Christ is telling you that he's the one that bridges the gap between God and man. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 51. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open. You shall see the heavens open. And the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Upon what? Upon the Son of Man. Upon what, brother? Upon the Son of Man. So here it's telling you that you will see angels ascending and descending on Christ, brothers and sisters. That means you're going to see angels going up and coming down upon the Son of Man, which is Christ, brothers and sisters. Do you see this? What does that mean? What does it mean, brothers and sisters? We're going to show you. We need you to first remember what Christ said. Read that one more time, brother. John 1, verse 51. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open. The heavens will open. And the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Doing what? And the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. We're trying to beat that into your head, brothers and sisters. He said, you shall see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, brothers and sisters, we're going to go to the scripture that Christ taught out of the Torah in order to teach this principle. You shall see angels ascending and descending upon Christ. What does that mean? We have to go to Genesis. Let's go to Genesis 28, brothers and sisters, to a dream, to a vision that our father Jacob had. We're going to read 10 through 13. Listen closely. Genesis 28, verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted up on a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took up the stones of that place and put for them his pillow. So he took stones and used them as pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. 
Continue. And he dreamed. He did what? And he dreamed. Listen to the dream. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth. A ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. So he saw a ladder reaching from heaven to earth. This is called Jacob's ladder, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, please. Verse 12. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending the, on it. The angels what? Behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Behold what? Behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Continue. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest. To thee will I give it. Into thy seed. Now, brothers and sisters, this story affirms Jacob's legitimacy as the heir to God's promises through Abraham. Do you see that? He said, the most I told him, listen, the land in which you lay down is what I will give to your seed. So here it was. He brought up contract. <laughs> you see that, brothers and sisters? But the key part is we're going to read it again because in this Dream, Jacob saw a ladder set on the earth and reaching to heaven, brothers and sisters. I need you to look at the thumbnail for this video, brothers and sisters, because the thumbnail is what Jacob was seeing. If you see it clearly, brothers and sisters, you'll see angels walking up and down a ladder or a set of stairs, brothers and sisters. See, check out the thumbnail or just just type in Jacob's ladder and go to images on Google so you can see exactly what Jacob was seeing, brothers and sisters. OK, he saw a ladder or a staircase from the heavens to the earth. OK. Follow us, brothers and sisters. We're going to start back at verse 10. Genesis 28, verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for, for his pillows and laid down in that place to sleep. So he laid down to sleep and he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Now, brothers and sisters, this ladder is significant for it's the tool by which the earth is connected to the heavenly realm. Brothers and sisters, do you see this? Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 12. And he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth. What was set up on the earth? A ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. So this story helps us to understand the words Christ spoke to his disciple Nathaniel. Brothers and sisters, do you see that? Look at it closely, please, because this highly symbolic dream of Jacob's ladder is representing Christ the mediator. Read that one more time and then we'll go back to Christ. Verse 12. And he dreamed and behold, a ladder set upon the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. 
And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. So according to the text, the angels of God were ascending and descending on a ladder that reached to the heavens. Brothers and sisters. It's called Jacob's ladder. Now let's go back to Christ because now I believe you can understand Christ. Because this is the exact scripture he was going to. He took him right to Genesis, brothers and sisters. Go back to uh, John, the first chapter, the 51st verse. John 1, verse 51. What's that say, brother? And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Read that again. Why, brothers and sisters? Because we're reading the prophetic interpretation of Jacob's dream. Now we see, according to the text, Christ identified himself with Jacob's ladder. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 51. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now look at that. See, here he said you would see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What is he doing? He's identifying himself with the ladder. See that? According to the Bible, Jacob's ladder is a representation of Christ who came to earth from the lineage of Jacob. Brothers and sisters, do you see that? This is proof that without the Old Testament, you couldn't possibly comprehend Christ in his fullness. <laughs> see, I take a Christian right here and I'm like, okay, well, John 1 51, what does that mean? Because in order to answer it, you have to go into the Old Testament. The same Old Testament that Christians say we don't follow. Anytime Christ invites you into the Old Testament, take that invitation. In fact, anywhere Christ invites you to take that invitation. The text says that Christ reportedly, Christ said, listen, you're going to see angels of the Most High going up and down upon the Son of Man. When you link that with the precept of Genesis 28, what were the angels traveling on, brothers and sisters? Jacob's ladder. A ladder going into the heavens. Or a staircase into the heavens. So Christ was telling you, if you're trying to get to the Most High, you have to come through me. I'm the ladder. You see that, brothers and sisters? Matter of fact, let's go to John 14 and 6. Because see, this is how you show a Christian, Christ. This is how you show Israelites, Christ, in the Old Testament. John 14, verse 6. Christ saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now that makes sense. <laughs> he said, I'm the ladder going into the heavenly realm. If you don't come up through me. If you don't come through me, you'll never find the presence of the Most High. So, brothers and sisters, based on the interpretation of the dream, access into the presence of the Most High comes through Jacob's ladder, which is Christ. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 6. Christ saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, so he's the one that bridges the gap between God and man. That's what he was speaking of. That's what the, the dream represented. Where Jacob fell asleep. And in his dream, he saw a ladder reaching up into the heavenly realm. He saw angels climbing up and down on this ladder. Christ identified himself with that ladder, brothers and sisters. Now, you could never understand that if you don't go into the Torah. That was Genesis, brothers and sisters. <laughs> See? Showing you that even Genesis wrote of Christ, brothers and sisters. According to the text, no one sees the Most High apart from the way that he has designated. Let us prove that. Let's go to Genesis. Let us show you that someone else tried to take a different way rather than that ladder. Genesis 11 verse 1. What's that say, brother? And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick. And burned them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone. And slime had they for mortar. This is the Tower of Babel, brothers and sisters. They began to create a, uh, you know, create a, a tower into the heavenly realm, brothers and sisters. Verse 4. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Brothers and sisters, the ladder of Jacob's dream was God's answer to the Tower of Babel. Because here it is, you have people, wicked people, who are saying, listen, we can get into the presence of God on our own by what we're going to build. Christ said, listen, I'm Jacob's ladder. If you don't come up on Jacob's ladder, you'll never make it. Read, brother, verse 4 one more time, please. Verse 4, and they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So they created, they started constructing a tower to get into the heavenly realm. Verse 5, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men built it. Which what, brother? Which the children of men built it. So this was men who built this tower. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Continue. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language. And do what? And there confound their language. Confound their language, right? That they may not understand one another's speech. Continue, brother. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. So he changed their language where none of them could understand each other. You had people, they didn't know if a person was asking for a brick or saying, slow down. So bricks are now falling from the top, brothers and sisters, and they're so high that these things are falling on people's heads and killing them. So eventually they just said, well, listen, it's too dangerous. You know, I'm going on. I, I can't understand what you're saying. Right. <laughs> Read verse nine, brother. Genesis 11, verse nine. 
Therefore is the name of it called Babel or Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from this did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Now, brothers and sisters, Jacob's ladder, what we saw in Genesis 28, what Christ spoke of in John, the first chapter, the 51st verse, is the answer to the Tower of Babel. Do you see this? In both accounts, there's an attempt to get to, you know, there's an attempt to link heaven with earth. There's an attempt for a connection between the earthly realm and the heavenly realm. The Tower of Babel is an example of those who tried to reach heaven by their own actions, aside from the help of God. <laughs> Trying to say, well, listen, because I follow the law, my works, my works will get me into the presence of the Most High. See? So this story reveals our inability to reach the Most High devoid of Jacob's ladder, which is Christ. So this is people who try to get themselves in, brothers and sisters, by saying, well, listen, since I don't eat pork, right, the Most High owe me uh, to let me in, to, into heaven. Jacob's ladder says otherwise. Christ said, I am the way. He said, I'm Jacob's ladder. I'm the ladder. I'm the staircase that connects heaven to earth. And if you don't come up that staircase, which is me, it's not going to happen. And we're showing you, brothers and sisters, because here was the complete, this was the complete opposite here. These two stories are diametrically opposed, brothers and sisters. You have Christ, the ladder, the stairway into the heavenly realm. And here you have the children of men saying, well, listen, we'll get ourselves in. Let's go to John, brother, 10 and 7. We're going to read 7 through 9. John 10, verse 7. Then said Christ unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And shall go in and out and find pasture. Christ is the only bridge by which we can enter into the presence of God, brothers and sisters. Christ is the gatekeeper, the person who controls access to the Father. He's showing us right here. But now this makes sense. Now that you understand that he's saying, I'm Jacob's ladder. I am the staircase that leads into the presence of God. Now it makes sense. You see how you need the Old Testament, brothers and sisters, to fully comprehend, to fully grasp or ascertain how deep the Bible is? How the narrative stayed the same from what? From Genesis all the way to John. And it's not as if one man wrote the entire Bible. It was a multitude of men. Yet the narrative has been the, the narrative has been monolithic, brothers and sisters, showing you that this has to be the word of God, brothers and sisters. It has to be. Read that from the top, brother, please. John 10, verse 7. Then said Christ unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. See, so Christ is the one and only means by which any person can be justified, brothers and sisters. Jacob's ladder, 
according to what we've read, is the representation of the new covenant. The Tower of Babel is the representation of the old. Through works. The Tower of Babel. Through works. They, they tried to work their way into the presence of God. Christ is saying, listen, you got to come a new way. There's a new way. There's a new door. If you try to come up as the Tower of Babel, you're a thief and you're a robber. And essentially what you're saying is you owe me now. No longer is, you know, is it a gift from God. But you owe me to put me into the kingdom. Why? Because I stopped eating pork. So you owe me that. That's a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place for you to be telling the king that he owes you. Let's go to Luke, brother. Understand the gospel. Let's go to Luke, the 24th chapter. Follows to the New Testament. Uh, Luke 24 and 27, brothers and sisters. Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Look at this, brothers and sisters. He trained his disciples to find references of him throughout the scriptures, beginning with Moses. Moses is called the Torah. Those are the books of Moses, or the, the, the Pentateuch, brothers and sisters. That's what a lot of the Christians call it, the Greeks call it, brothers and sisters. It's also called the Law. The first five books of the Bible is called the Law. It's called the Torah. It's called the Pentateuch. It's telling you that Christ started in the books of Moses and went through the prophets. The prophets is the Tanakh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos. He's saying, I can go through this whole thing. And show you me. Read that again, please, brother. Verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The what, brother? The things concerning himself. So here Christ teaches us the reverence due to the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. The Old Testament scripture. So rejecting the Old Testament is henceforth nothing less than denial of Christ's teaching. See, this is what I show a Christian. I'm like, well, was Christ teaching the Old Testament? According to this text, he was. So why are you saying the Old Testament's done away with? See? That's how you have to put it, brothers and sisters. And guess what? Today, we will learn how to identify Christ in the Old Testament. We'll learn that today. Follow us to Numbers 21. We're going to Numbers 21 and 5. Brothers and sisters, we're here at Numbers, the 21st chapter, the 5th through the 9th verse. I hope you're following this. Numbers 21, verse 5. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Brothers and sisters, we're here in Numbers, in the Torah. Remember Christ said what? He said he went through the Torah. He said, beginning at Moses, the prophets, he did what? He expounded. Showed the scriptures that testified of him, right? We're showing you the scriptures, brothers and sisters, that he went to. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 5. 
and the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Did you bring us out, out, out of Egypt to kill us? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathed this light bread. So they hated the manna, brothers and sisters. The manna that the Most High, the bread from heaven. Our people hated it. Like it don't have no taste. I'm tired of eating this all the time. We want some meat. And what happened? Verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. Why? Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Now look at this, brothers and sisters, because the Most High punished our complaining and lack of faith by doing what? By sending venomous serpents into the camp. Imagine that. Imagine you're down on your knees praying and complaining about why is it this way and why is it that? And I don't like this. And then some fiery some snakes just start slithering from under your bed. <laughs> You'll change your tune quickly, won't you? Just imagine that. Read that one more time, brother, verse 6. Verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. And what, what happened after that, brother? Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Now, after many fatalities, brothers and sisters, we began to beg Moses to intercede with the Most High on our behalf. So then we come crying. Moses, <laughs> I'm sorry if I did anything to offend you. You know how our people are. So right after they just got done complaining, many people died. Then our people came to the light. <laughs> Many people die. For what? For complaining. Read 7 one more time, please, brother. Numbers 21, verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, this is critical because it was only because of the serpents that our people realized we had sinned against God. We think that complaining is a light thing. The Most High doesn't view it that way. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Continue. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass, that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, when shall what? live. When he looketh upon it, shall live. When what, brother? When he looketh upon it, shall live. Now, the Most High told Moses to make a snake out of, you know, pretty much copper, out of brass, right? And put it upon a stick. So here it was. You had a staff with a bronze serpent on it. And he said, if you look at this serpent, you'll live. So what happened after that, brother? Verse 9. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Read that again, brother. Verse 9. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. 
And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So brothers and sisters, do you see this? When Moses lifted up the serpent, he did what? He lifted up that which was killing the people. The serpent, right? The serpents were killing the people. The Most High said, make a brass serpent on a pole and lift it into the air. Those who look at this serpent will live. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Why? Because understanding this story will enrich our understanding of who Christ is and what he came to do for us, brothers and sisters. I hope you got that. Because now, when Christ expounds on this, when Christ breaks this down, it'll make sense. Let's go to John 3 and 14. Because we're showing you how in order to fully comprehend, in order to fully ascertain Christ's what Christ came to do, you must read the Old Testament. John 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Read that again, brother. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Lifted up is a reference, a polite way of saying crucifixion. Brothers and sisters, read that one more time, brother, because the brazen serpent lifted up by Moses in the wilderness symbolized Christ. And we're going to prove that. John 3 verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now look at that. What? What happened in, in, in the wilderness, brothers and sisters? What did Numbers say? said that Moses created a bronze, a brass serpent on a pole. The Most High told him to lift it in the air. And whoever looked at that bronze serpent lived. Now look at what Christ is saying. Read that one more time from the top, brother. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So Christ came to this world because what? Deadly venom courses through our veins, brothers and sisters. Christ was what? He was snake bitten for us. He became our sin on the cross. Now, you wouldn't, you couldn't understand what Christ is breaking down here if you didn't read Numbers. Now, everyone knows John 3.16, but never go to John 3.14 or John 3.15, which you can't fully comprehend unless you read Numbers 21. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? See? You need the Old Testament because the Old Testament testifies of Christ. Christ fulfilled the prophecy. That's why he said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. Now you're seeing the fulfillment of the law, which is the first five books of Moses. That's the law, brothers and sisters. Jacob's ladder, Christ. The serpent in the wilderness lifted up on a pole. That was Christ. It represented Christ. Let's go to Romans, brother. 15 and 4, please. Let's go to Paul's epistles. Romans, the 15th chapter, the fourth verse. What does that say, brother? Romans 15 verse 4 For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. For our what, brother? 
for our learning, that we through patience and comfort for of the scriptures might have hope. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Well, look at that. What were the scriptures given to us for, brother? For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. See? You see that the things that were written before were written for us to learn. Scriptures full of Christ, brothers and sisters, from Genesis to Revelations, everything breathes of the Messiah. And we're going to learn that today. Let's stick with that bronze serpent, brothers and sisters. Let's go to 2 Kings 18 and 4. 2 Kings, the 18th chapter, the 4th verse. 2 Kings 18, verse 4. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the graves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that, Mo that Moses has made. Start that from the top, brother, please. Verse 4. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the, the groves. The groves are what? This was like wood statues, brothers and sisters. And break in pieces... The brassen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he called it Nehushtan. Now brothers and sisters, look at that closely. Because the text highlights Israel's tendency to succumb to idolatry. That same serpent that Moses <laughs> created. Our people started worshiping this thing now. Burning incense means praying to it, brothers and sisters. Incense represents prayer in the Bible. God believes our prayer is like a sweet-smelling savor. It's like an incense into his nostrils. We wanted to show you that historically speaking, Israel will worship anything that will benefit us. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Read that one more time, please, brother. 2 Kings 18, verse 4. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves, and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. He broke into pieces the, the, the brazen serpent, brothers and sisters. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. Now look at that, brothers and sisters. Our people have always sought blessings, and because of that we'll serve anything that gets us what we want. That's the point that we're trying to prove. And guess what? Christ understood that. Christ understood that. Let us show you. Let's go to John 6. We're going to go to John, the 6th chapter. We're going to start at the 25th verse. We'll read 25 through 27. Let us show you that Christ understood that our people will serve anything that benefits them. John 6 verse 25. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Christ answered them and said, What did he say? Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Now, brothers and sisters, Christ was rebuffing some of his followers for their superficial attraction to him. Do you see this? He's saying, you're following me, not because 
you saw the miracles because you ate of the fish when I when I fed many people through only a few fish. Do you see that, brothers and sisters, showing you that people will follow just to be blessed? Read that one more time, brother. Verse 26, Christ answered them and said, Barely, barely, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. So Christ is making commentary highlighting that many people seek him with what? With unclean motives, brothers and sisters. Rather than grasping the, the spiritual significance or importance, people are attracted to the material aspects. So people will say, okay, well, listen, if I do what God says, this is what I need from it. <laughs> I'm only going to do it if I believe I'm going to get what I want. Christ is revealing what? The prevailing motives behind why many people serve brothers and sisters. He said, you, you, don't, you don't care about the truth. You were fed from my miracle. Now you want to follow me. Continue, brother. Verse 27. Labor not for, for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth into everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, we seek the blessing more than we seek the blesser. That's the point that Christ was trying to trying to highlight, brothers and sisters. They serve God for what he can do and not who he is. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous because why? If you don't get what you want, then what happens? Your obedience stops there. So the motive has to be clean, brothers and sisters. It's all good while you're getting what you, you know, what you would like. But what happens when he says no? See? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10 and 9, brother. The king has arrived, brothers and sisters. We're going from Genesis to Revelations, brothers and sisters, showing you Christ being written of by the prophets before him. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 9. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Paul warns the Corinthians not to test Christ by questioning his, questioning his direction. That's called tempting, brothers and sisters, or testing. Remember, you know, <laughs> when we were growing up, you would say, listen, somebody trying to test me. They think I'm soft. <laughs> Remember that, brothers and sisters? Christ said, well, listen, uh, when you question my direction, you, you testing me. You testing me right now. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 9. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. So here we read the consequences for bitterly questioning God's plan and his provision. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, the Most High views complaining as challenging his authority. You see that, brothers and sisters? See, we have to, we need a healthier perspective. We need a more biblical perspective. Because a lot of times we're seeing things with an unrenewed mind. As Paul said, you're not going to make it 
if you don't have a renewed mind. So we're showing, brothers and sisters, our people continue to complain. That's all we do. The most high do something for us, and you're like, well, it could have been this. It really wasn't that. Could have been a 2019 one. Could have been the one with the eight gigs. Could have been this. Could have been that. We have to be careful, brothers and sisters, because our people, I don't even believe our people do this on purpose. <laughs> They're not even thinking about it. It's just second nature. The Most High will send some fiery serpents if we continue to complain. Let's go to Wisdom of Solomon, brother, in the Apocrypha. The king has arrived, brothers and sisters. Wisdom of Solomon, the first chapter, the 11th and the 12th verse. Wisdom of Solomon, 1 verse 11. Therefore, beware of murmuring, which is unprofitable, and refrain your tongue from backbiting. Read that again, brother. Verse 11. Therefore, beware of murmuring, murmuring, which is unprofitable. It's what? Which is unprofitable, and refrain your tongue from backbiting, for there is no word nor or for there is no word so secret that shall go for naught, and the mouth that belieth slayeth the soul. Continue. Seek not death in the error of your life, and pull not upon yourselves destruction with the works of your hands. Complaining, brothers and sisters. Is irreverent and it shows that we're not living in the fear of the Most High God. And Solomon is breaking that down here. The power of life and death is in the tongue, brothers and sisters. And this text highlights how toxic and poisonous the act of complaining actually is. Beware of complaining, it's unprofitable. Refrain your tongue. You see that, brothers and sisters? Complaining isn't harmless sport. It's serious sin, brothers and sisters. Follow us to Isaiah, the 33rd chapter in the 6th verse. Isaiah 33, verse 6. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. Read that again, brother. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. What shall be? Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Education in this text seems to have a what? A primary importance in our lives. Knowledge and wisdom, when combined, give stability to the person wielding. Could you read that again, brother? Verse 6. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a difference. If you look at the text closely, there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge means to know something, right? Wisdom is how to apply what you know. I can have the knowledge of how a screwdriver works. But if I don't know how to use a screwdriver, if I start trying to whack it like a hammer, then I don't have the wisdom. I have the knowledge of what it is, but I don't know how to apply that knowledge. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Read that one more time, brother, and then we're going to move on. Isaiah 33, verse 6. 
and wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. It will stabilize you. And strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. So according to the text, the influence of applying wisdom and knowledge is stabilization. Brothers and sisters, your biblical training will be worth more than gold. Brothers and sisters, wisdom and knowledge are the best elements of the stability of any people. And we're going to go into some of that wisdom and knowledge. Because why? The scripture before said what? Many of our people were destroyed for complaining. Why? Because the Most High views that as challenging his authority. So we're going to give you the knowledge. Well, the Bible is going to give you the knowledge. The wisdom to stabilize yourself in these last days. Let's go to Matthew, brother, 15. Go into the gospel. Matthew, the 15th chapter, the 21st through the 28th verse. Matthew 15, verse 21. Then Christ went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Now, brothers and sisters, I need you to really examine what goes on in this text because this story teaches us a vital principle on how to instigate a response from God. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 22. Verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her but he answered her not a word. But what, brother? But he answered her not a word. He ignored her. A sister came and said, Listen, my daughter. I'm having trouble with my daughter. She has a demon. Christ ignored her. And his disciples came in beside him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he's still ignoring this sister, right? She came for help. He answered her not a word. The disciples start speaking to him. He speaks to them. You see this, brothers and sisters? The text teaches us when God is silent, this is what you do. Read, read that again, brother. Verse 24. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Christ answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Brothers and sisters, if you examine this, this story closely, the text teaches us that when God is silent, you fall on your face and you worship him. That's how you get a response. Did you see that, brothers and sisters? <laughs> Here it was. Christ was silent. He was ignoring his sister. She fell on her face and worshiped at his feet. He responded. 
See, so instead of complaining, worship, brothers and sisters. Why? Because the knowledge is going to be what stabilizes you. The wisdom is going to be what stabilizes you. And we're giving you that wisdom. When you feel like God is not answering, when you feel like God is silent, you don't complain. You fall on your face and worship. You see that, brothers and sisters? According to the author, worship gets a response from God, brothers and sisters. If it were possible for the Most High to have a weakness, it would be for worship, brothers and sisters. Knowledge and wisdom shall be what stabilizes you. So many people try to be blessed by the Most High and they never bless the Most High. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Christ ignored this sister. He was silent. But when she fell on her face and worshipped at his feet, he responded. Try that one day. Try that one day. Because the Most High has taken all the complaining, all the theatrics. He's taken it as disrespect, brothers and sisters. He's taken it as something that should be reciprocated with the judgment, brothers and sisters. We're showing you how to get a response from the Most High. We're showing you how to instigate a response from the Most High. Let's go to John 4, brother. Let's go to John 4 and 23. John 4, verse 23. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. For what, brother? For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Make it your priority to become a true worshiper of God. The Most High is seeking worshipers. Do you see that? How many of us are worshiping? Not many. Not many. Now there's a difference in praise and worship, brothers and sisters. Praise is, thank you for my house. Thank you for my car. Thank you for my job. That's praise. Worship is based on not what he's done for you, but who he is. Father, you're a majestic, magnificent, omnipresent, merciful God. That's worship, brothers and sisters. Not thanking him for what he's done. That, that's good too. Yeah, that's good. Praise is one thing. It's another thing entirely to worship. See, worship says if I don't have a car, if I don't have a job, if I don't have, that's worship. Read that again, brother, please. John 4, verse 23. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Brothers and sisters, the fact that the Most High seeks true worshipers implies that they are false worshipers. The fact that the Most High is seeking true worshipers mean that what? That this is of the utmost importance. This is your priority. The Father longs to receive our worship, brothers and sisters. It's a lot of fake worship going on. Only when the Most High do what you want. <laughs> See? So today's lesson is aimed to help make worshiping more easy, brothers and sisters. 
Today's lesson is aimed to help worship come easy, brothers and sisters. God created us for the ultimate priority of worshiping him. And we're seeing that. We're showing you how to get a response from the heavens. This is how you get a response, brothers and sisters. Knowledge and wisdom shall be what stabilizes us in these last days. All of us, one time or another, believe God isn't answering. God isn't hearing me. What do I do? Do what this sister, this Gentile, did. That's what you do, brothers and sisters. We're going to show you how to get a response. Let's go to Acts 7, brother. This is the story of Stephen, the first martyr of the New Testament, brothers and sisters, church. The, the, the New Testament church. We're going to read Acts 7 and 52 through 60. Acts 7 verse 52. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one. Of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Read that one more time brother please. Verse 52. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? So here it was. Stephen is saying, he's speaking to our people right here. Pharisees, predominantly. Which one of the prophets have you all not slain? See, continue. And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just ones. So he's saying that our people always slayed the righteous, the prophets, the ones that spoke of Christ. Of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Continue. Who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Now look at this, brothers and sisters, because they were looking to kill Stephen based on what? Based on him saying, listen, we should be able to teach Gentiles. <laughs> okay, Christ said that there's a way for Gentiles to receive the law. Not that they're going to get the promises of Abraham, but receive salvation so our people were not trying to deal with that read that one more time 53 brother verse 53 who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it we were the ones who received the law from angels right the angels of the most high and have not kept it verse 54 when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now, brothers and sisters, when it says gnashed on him with their teeth, you know when you're grinding your teeth, you're so angry, you're like, you're growling. That's what they're saying. They were so angry, brothers and sisters. They were so offended by what he was saying. This is an indication of anger. Continue. Acts 7, verse 55. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Christ standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open. This is a theophany. What did he see? Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. And did what? And cast him out of the city, and stoned him, 
And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Now, brothers and sisters, this Saul was Paul. Paul was actually watching this. This was Paul as a young man during this time, brothers and sisters, watching this brother being stoned. If you know anything about the church, brothers and sisters, Stephen becomes the first martyr of the church. Okay? Continue, brother. Verse 59. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he asked, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, brothers and sisters, I need you to really examine what's transpiring here in the text because he's being stoned. <laughs> and what's going on? He's distracted. He's looking into the heavens. Brothers and sisters, here it is. They're throwing, you know, stones and bricks and blocks and rocks. And this brother is, is his focus is on the heavens. I don't know about you, but I think it may be kind of hard to, to be getting rocks and blocks and stones thrown at your head. And you're focusing on Christ. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Do you see that? Because the most intriguing aspect of this passage regarding Stephen's persecution and his martyrdom is the depiction, the description of Christ. Brothers and sisters, let's go back. Jump back to 50, 55, brother. Let's read. Let's read 5. 55. Acts 7, verse 55. Listen closely, brothers and sisters. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Christ standing on the right hand of God. And doing Christ doing what? Christ standing on the right hand of God. Continue. And said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Brothers and sisters, do you see that? <laughs> Look at it closely because the way to bring Christ to his feet is singular focus and enduring hardness without complaining. Christ is giving Stephen a standing ovation right here, brothers and sisters. Look at, look at the text. Read 55 again, please, brother. Verse 55. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Christ standing on the right hand of God. What was Christ doing? Christ standing on the right hand of God. Now look at that, brothers and sisters. The way to bring Christ to his feet is singular focus and a lack of complaining. Christ was giving Stephen a standing ovation for what? His unwavering faith and steadfast focus. Brothers and sisters, if you study the Bible, you know that this is the only place in the entire literature, the, the entire manuscript where you will find Christ standing on the right hand of God. Typically, he's sitting. We're going to prove that. Matter of fact, let's go prove it, brother. Let's go to Hebrews, the first chapter, the second verse, because this is the only place where you'll see Christ standing. Let's go to Hebrews, brothers and sisters. We're showing you how to get a response. We're showing you how to get a response, brothers and sisters. Hebrews 1, verse 2. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, 
by whom also he made the worlds. Brothers and sisters, excuse me. Read that one more time. Verse 2. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Continue. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. What did he do? Because I need you to closely examine the positioning of the Messiah. Sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. No, he was standing. Sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Nowhere else in the manuscript would you find Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. So here it was, Stephen is being stoned with bricks, blocks, rocks, all in the head. And he's, he's what? He's distracted. He's looking into the heavens. He was so singularly focused, even when he was being persecuted, that Christ had to give him a standing ovation. Further proof. Let's show you. Let's go to Mark 16. Don't skim through the Bible, brothers and sisters, because if you skim through the Bible carelessly, you'll actually miss the beauty. In Acts the 7th chapter, the 55th verse, it tells you that Christ was standing at the right hand side of the Father. Nowhere else in the manuscript can you find that. Matthew 16 and 19. Mark 16 verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. He did what, brother? Sat on the right hand of God. As you can see, brothers and sisters, Christ is always sitting at the right hand of God. So it matters. That description, that depiction matters. Because why? We're showing you how to get a response from the heavens. Knowledge and wisdom shall stabilize me, shall stabilize us, brothers and sisters. Now you're seeing. <laughs> you're seeing, listen, when, when the Most High is silent, you fall in your face in worship. If you want Christ, the Messiah, to give you a standing ovation, have singular focus, devoid of any complaining. That's what gets a standing ovation from the Most High. That's what gets a standing ovation from the Messiah. Let's go to Hebrews, brother, 12 and 2. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He did what? Is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. So he's telling you, brothers and sisters, that what you think is hard is... That's, that's child's play. 
That's child's play compared to what the disciples was going through. All that complaining that you're doing is child's play. It said, do what? Think back at the Messiah and what he had to endure. The beatings, the whippings, the mockery. Go back to verse 2, brother, please. Verse 2. Looking unto Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Right there. Look to the Messiah, the author and finisher of our faith, right? We're going to do that, brothers and sisters. We're going to look to Christ. Let's go to Exodus 17. The king has arrived, brothers and sisters. The king has arrived. Exodus. Read, read verse 1, please, brother. Exodus 17, verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Now, brothers and sisters, at the beginning of the children of Israel's 40-year wandering is what we're reading here. Do you see this? This is the beginning of the 40-year wandering. Jump to verse 5, brother. It tells you that our people had nothing to drink in the wilderness of sin. Exodus 17, verse 5. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thy hand, and go. Continue, brother. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, or Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Brothers and sisters, the Most High commanded Moses to strike the rock so that the thirst-quenching waters might be miraculously provided to our people. Do you see this? This is at the beginning of the 40-year wandering, brothers and sisters. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10 and 1. We're just showing you how you need the Old Testament. <laughs> We're showing you how Christ was written of in the Old Testament, and you can't fully comprehend Christ if you devalue the Old Testament. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10 and 1. We're going to read 1 through 4, brother. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I will not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea. Now this is talking about being led by the cloud, brothers and sisters, in the wilderness. And it said, pass through the sea, the reed sea. Verse 2. And we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Baptized unto Moses. Why? Because we went through the water. So it was the Old Testament version before it was fulfilled, brothers and sisters. How we had to go through the water to be delivered from who? Pharaoh. Read that again. Verse 2. And we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. That what? That rock was Christ. That what, brother? That rock was Christ. Who was it? 
that rock was Christ. Paul is presenting the physical rock that Moses struck as a symbol of Christ, brothers and sisters. You see that? Christ is the rock that was struck with the rod of God's judgment in order to bring forth salvation. See, that rock that Moses struck represented Christ. Let us show you. Let's go to Isaiah 53 and 5 because Christ is written of all throughout the manuscript, brothers and sisters. And for you to think that Christ is condensed to the gospel, to, to the four books, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're doing yourself a disservice. Today's lesson is aimed to do what? To show you the importance of the Messiah and also to make worshiping the Most High easier. Let it come easy, understanding how thorough the Most High is, how deep the Most High is, how he placed this in the hands of our people, the children of Israel. And a lot of us comprehend more than the prophets understood at that time. The Most High was just telling them what to do. They didn't even know what they were doing. They were just following orders. We can understand why, because we have an Old Testament and a New Testament, which they didn't have. So many of us have more understanding than they had. The Most High had the record preserved for you and I. Read that, brother, please. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. See? So Christ was struck by the Most High's wrath in our place. Brothers and sisters, just as the rod of Moses struck the rock. See? Christ was the rock that brought forth the living water. That's why the Most High told Moses to strike the rock. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. So only when the rock was smitten did it bring forth life-giving waters. Brothers and sisters. In this way, the Most High showed Moses the prophetic gospel of Christ. You see that, brothers and sisters? We're showing you Christ all throughout the, the, the Tanakh, the Torah. So how can a Christian say, well, nah, we don't need the Old Testament. The Old Testament is done away with. Only thing we need is Paul's epistles. They won't even go into the gospel, brothers and sisters. The only thing they want to talk about is Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Corinthians. That's the only books they'll go to. <laughs> I promise you, brothers and sisters, talk to some of your Christian family members. Talk to some of these pastors. They're going to take you right to Romans. <laughs> they don't want to deal with the Old Testament. They don't want to deal with the gospel. They're disciples of Paul. They're Pauline disciples. They're not disciples of Christ. Let's go to Isaiah 12 and 3, brother. Let's go to Isaiah 12 and 3 to show you that water represented salvation all throughout the literature, brothers and sisters. Isaiah, the 12th chapter, the third verse. What's that say, Brother Christopher? 
Isaiah 12 verse 3. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Read that again, brother. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. All throughout the manuscript, brothers and sisters, water symbolizes salvation. The Red Sea, right? What saved us from the Egyptians? The water closing in on them as we cross the sea. Noah's Ark, right? What killed all the evil people, the fallen angels and the dinosaurs that were looking to destroy man? Water. See, so water has always represented salvation, just like baptism. Moses and the rock was a clear foreshadowing of Christ at Calvary, brothers and sisters. Can you see it? <laughs> Beautiful parable, isn't it? All of this is written throughout the Torah. All of this is written throughout the Tanakh. All this can be taught without the New Testament, brothers and sisters. So how can a person say, we don't need the Old Testament? How? You don't understand Christ. You don't understand the Messiah without the Old Testament. Let's go to 2 Corinthians, brother. Five. Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, the twenty-first verse. What does that say, brother Christopher? Second Corinthians five, verse twenty-one. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in, in him. Look at this, brothers and sisters. The only substitute allowed would have to be sinless or else he would have to die for his own sins. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? The only way Christ could do this for us is because he had no sin to die for of his own. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, so Christ's death was not merely a statement against evil but a payment that satisfied God's righteous judgment, his righteous demand. Christ died vicariously as the sinner's substitute and took the righteous punishment due to those whom he came to save. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? The only reason he could redeem us is because he had no sin. Because any brother or sister who had sin have to die for their own sin. Why? Because Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. So here it was. All throughout the Bible, the Most High was teaching us substitutionary sacrifice. So he was allowing substitutes to take our place. Let's go to Hebrews, brother 2 and 9. Hebrews 2 verse 9, but we see Christ who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Why was he made? For oh, verse 9, but we see Christ who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Why was he made? Crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death 
for every man. Brothers and sisters, I need you to examine this text closely because it emphasizes the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ was that he was born to die. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 9. But we see Christ, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. For what? For he was made a little lower of the angels for the suffering of death. For what, brother? Who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. For the suffering of death, brothers and sisters. That's why he was made. Do you see that? His death substitutes for our well-deserved death, brothers and sisters, which we earn through sin. So imagine, brothers and sisters, growing up this entire time, he knew he was only born to suffer death. He knew this and still did it for you and I. Imagine that, brothers and sisters. Imagine you knowing in the future, at this certain time, I'm going to have to be, you know, beat, whipped, and crucified publicly. And not try to escape it, brothers and sisters. According to the scripture, according to the literature, sin must be paid for, brothers and sisters. And who did it? Christ died to suffer as a substitute on our behalf. Christ was made for the suffering of death. So he could taste death for every man. Worship going to be, become easier after today, brothers and sisters. Let's go to John 14. John, the 14th chapter, the 13th verse. John 14, verse 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. He said, listen, don't come in your name. <laughs> don't come in your name. Come in my name. Why? You come in your name, you're dead. That was Sid up on the cross. That was Brother Christopher up on the cross. That was you up on the cross, brothers and sisters. He's saying, now you got to, no, no. You need to come in my name because you're dead. I died as you. So now that means what? You have to walk like me, talk like me, act like me, think like me. This is what Christ is saying. <laughs> You've traded places with me. So now you need to walk like me. Talk like me, think like me, dress like me. See? He said, don't come in your own name, come in my name. Because you're dead already. I died as you. We traded places. You see this, brothers and sisters? Let's go to Exodus 4, brother. Let's go to Exodus 4 and 22. Exodus 4, verse 22. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. That what? That he may serve me. That what, brother? That he may serve me. God delivered us for a purpose, brothers and sisters. He always does. You need to know that. So when we say you must live as Christ, that was the reason you were delivered. <laughs> you weren't delivered to go live your life <laughs> and say, well, listen, hey, I mean, hey, 
Live my life. Christ died for my sin. Right? No. The Most High never delivers you for you. Anytime he's delivered someone, including myself, he had a purpose in mind. Read it again, brother, please. Exodus 4, verse 23. Uh, let's start at 22, please. Verse 22. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me. Look at that, brothers and sisters. The Most High's ultimate purpose for bringing you out of anything is to bring you unto him. You see that? So the purpose of our deliverance was to serve God. It always was. It always will be. We must serve him with the same vigor that you served that other Pharaoh you had in your life before. That's what he's looking for. <laughs> that other thing that you were serving that he delivered you from the same way you served that serve him and guess what he'll open up the he'll open up the floodgates of heaven on you if he knows that you're going to serve him the same way you were serving that other person or that other thing try it out brothers and sisters try it out we just wanted to prove to you that the Most High never delivers you for you. <laughs> he said, let my, let my people go so they can serve me. So if you're looking to be delivered or you have been delivered, understand there was a purpose behind the deliverance. Let's go to Exodus, brother. 33. Go to Exodus 33 and 21. We're going to read 21 through 23. Exodus 23, verse 21. Examine this closely, brothers and sisters, because we wanted to get back to that rock. We wanted to get back to that rock showing you Christ in the Torah. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. Stand upon what? Stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in a cliff off of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. Now look at this closely. He said, I need you to stand upon this rock. Listen, we're going to interact here. Stand upon this rock. I'm going to come past. I'm going to do a drive-by really quick. I can't, you know. You can't look at me face to face because I, you know, my glory will kill you. Stand upon this rock. I'm going to do a drive by. Put you in the cliff of this rock. I will cover you while I pass by. Read it from the top, brother, please. Verse 21. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me. Closely examine where the Most High has Moses stand before the revelation of himself. And thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. Continue, brother. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. According to the text, Moses had to stand on the rock to see the glory of God. You see that, brothers and sisters? <laughs> Do you see that? He said, all right, Moses, stand on this rock, okay? <laughs> then, you, then you can see me. 
We're just showing you Christ, brothers and sisters. According to the author, reliance on the rock is the only way to see the glory of God. It's the only way. It is on the rock that is emblematical of Christ that we are preserved from the wrath of God. Moses, stand upon this rock, okay? Once you stand on that rock, I'm going to reveal myself to you. Okay? I'm going to protect you by putting you in the cliff of the rock. The rock, the rock, the rock. Whoever built his house upon the rock, brothers and sisters, and that rock is Christ. Do you see how the Most High was teaching you about Christ from Genesis, brothers and sisters? And see, the people that lived before Christ, this is what they had to believe. They had to believe a Messiah would come. We have to believe a Messiah did come. But either way, you had to believe. And your actions ought to act as evidence of your belief. Brothers and sisters, the king has arrived. Let's go to Genesis 28. Going back to Genesis 28, brothers and sisters. Let's start at verse 10. Genesis 28, verse 10. Let's read 10 through 18, please, brother. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night. This is what we read earlier, brothers and sisters, about Jacob's ladder, right? Because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. So here it was, brothers and sisters. He came to a place he was tired. So he laid down to sleep. This was our father, Jacob. Verse 12. And he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. He saw a ladder. From the heavens down to the earth. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. Brothers and sisters, I really need you to closely examine the text because many of us just carelessly skim through it to say we read it. You might as well not read it if you're going to read it carelessly. Brothers and sisters, go back up, brother. Let's go back to... Let's see. Actually, I'll let you continue from there. Genesis 28, verse... 14, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Continue. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee. Until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep. Now look at this. So Jacob, this is, this, it's called Jacob's ladder, this dream, brothers and sisters. 
But I need you to closely examine what transpires after his awakening. Verse 16, and Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. The gate of heaven. Continue. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows. And did what? And took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. So the stone he used as a pillow, he set up as a pillar. And then he anointed it. He poured anointing oil on top of it. So, brothers and sisters, if you closely examine what just transpired, once Jacob laid his head upon the rock, (laughs) that's when he saw Jacob's ladder. Did you see that, brothers and sisters? Now, examine his behavior once he had awakened from the dream. Read 18 again, please, brother. Verse 18. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows. The stone that he used for a pillow. And set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. Poured oil on top of it. We're just showing you, brothers and sisters, that the heavens opened up once he laid his head upon the rock. You see this, brothers and sisters? And then, if, if that wasn't you know clear enough, it says he poured oil on top of it. He anointed the rock. Brothers and sisters, did you know that Christ means the anointed one? <laughs> it means anointed one. That's what Christ means, brothers and sisters. This is Christ. Once Moses stood on that rock, he came into the presence of the Most High. Once Jacob laid his head upon the rock, he saw the heavens open up. Go look it up, brothers and sisters. Go look up what Christ means. Look it up. It means the anointed. It's not a coincidence that he here anointed that same rock that he laid his head upon before this theophany. Theophany means interaction with God, brothers and sisters. That's what that means. Let's go to Luke, brother. 24 and 44, and we're going to end it here. Luke, the 24th chapter, the 44th and the 45th verse. Please follow us. This is on the road to Emmaus. Brothers and sisters, Luke 24, verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So here it was. He said, It's written of me in the Torah, in the Tanakh, and in the book of Psalms. Verse 45. Listen to this closely. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. Read that again, brother. Verse 45. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. He opened their understanding, so they could ascertain the scriptures. That's what we just did, brothers and sisters. He went into those same scriptures and said, you see this? This is me. This represents me. He opened their understanding. 
that they may understand the scriptures. So on this seven mile, this was, a, I believe it was seven mile walk. He went through the entire Tanakh, the Torah and Tanakh, brothers and sisters, and was just showing himself through the disciples. And through that, he opened their understanding because they did not understand this. They didn't understand the rock was Christ. They didn't understand Jacob's ladder was Christ. They didn't understand the bronze serpent represented Christ. They knew the context of it, but they didn't know what it represented. Christ opened up their understanding that they may understand the scriptures. And I pray that the brothers and sisters that learned with us, learned today with us, had their understanding opened to see the beauty within the literature, to see that Christ was taught from Genesis, to show you why not to read the Bible carelessly. Because when you miss all that, you're missing the glory of the Most High. You're missing the glory of Christ. Today's lesson, the King has arrived. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more. Sin no more.